Today's reading is from Proverbs verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 13 to 35. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life who those who lay hold of her, those who hold her fast, are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be your life for your soul, an adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those whom is due when it is your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but the fools get disgrace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Man, did you hear that? We're doing better. <laughs> Father, would you open up your, your words to us? Would you help us to, to see and understand uh, wisdom, what wisdom looks like, who wisdom is, um, how we're to live in this world that you've made, um, that we've messed up. Uh, we've, we pray, Father, that you help us to navigate um, our lives, that we live them uh, for your glory and for others' good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, okay, so there was one Super Bowl commercial that I really liked. There's more than one, probably, but there was one I really, really liked. And this Super Bowl commercial was with Bill Murray. Anybody remember that one? Yes. All right. My people. Um, yeah, it was, it was Bill Murray. His alarm clock rings in the morning, right? And they just bring you right back to Groundhog Day. And he's brought back to Groundhog Day, and you're just you're, you're in pain with him. You're going, oh, no, not, a, not, not again, you know? And he's going, not again. And everything looks the same. His whole morning is exactly the same, just like in the movie. And uh, he walks outside, and everything looks the same. And he starts looking at things. And then all of a sudden, he sees something. And he goes, that's different. And it was a Jeep, right? <laughs> it was a Jeep Wrangler is there. And it's, it's the, the one car that, that you could drive, that you could have, that if every day were the same, you'd want to have that car because every day would be different with that car. There's unlimited possibilities with that car, right? Um, they, such a good commercial. That was really good. They did a good job. Um, 
and, uh, and he's, he's no longer uh, discouraged of the, the endless grind, right, of Groundhog Day because he has this new car. And so commercials, though, they, they do that really well for us, right? They, they tell us and they communicate to us what it is that we want most, right? It's from, from cars to new phones to whatever it is, right? It, it does such a good job at pulling on our heartstrings, tugging on our deepest longings, our real desires, right, to get us to do something, to get us to buy something, usually. Um, a good commercial will do that. Um, and often the Bible does the same thing in the sense of it, it highlights different things. It highlights sex or success or relationships or money um, as, as all of these different things that kind of that woo us, that tug on our hearts, that pull us, the approval from somebody else, right? Relationships. And, 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 and they're things that we want most, and they're, they're, they're good things, but we make those good things and we turn them into God, right? And we worship them. And our liturgies of sex and success and relationships might look different, right? But they call us to worship all the same. And they have us singing their songs, right? Uh, we do it with the testimony of our lives. And, and we look for that satisfaction in them from that benediction that they can give us, that good word. We're looking for that. They, what, 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 what it has is what I want. I want to feel that way or I want to be that way. And so with sex, we hope for pleasure or affection. With success, for acclaim or status. For, with power, maybe we want respect. And each of these gods, right, it promises something that it fails to give us. And so this is what our, our passage this morning is really all about. I love how uh, C.S. Lewis captured it in this thought. He said, put first things first. And second things are thrown in. Put second things first, and you lose both first, both first and second things. Just think about that for a second. Let that, let that marinate. This is about valuing Jesus, right? The one who made all things, created everything. The one who's truism. Valuing him above and before, right? Anything and anyone else. And so I want to look at a couple things this morning. First... That the pursuit of wisdom is better than the pursuit of happiness. That's the first thing I want us to think about. And so, I'm going to totally nerd out, uh, like I usually do. And uh, right at the beginning is what we have. Uh, what we have is called an, an inclusio. Does anybody know what an inclusio is? You're going to know right now. You're going to know an inclusio is something. It begins with the same word that it ends with. Okay. So, so verse 13 and verse 18. Right, begins and ends with the same word, and that word is blessed. Right? Another way we could translate blessed is happy. Happy is the one who, right? So, so you can think about that as, as we read this again. Blessed or happy is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. 
She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called. Let's say it together. Blessed. We're happy. Happy. Um, and, and so this is, this is a, a beatitude. Um, that's, that's what this, uh, this passage is right in front of us. It's a beatitude. Just like Psalm 1, uh, just like um, Matthew chapter 5, uh, all the beatitudes that Jesus gives, except right, in this beatitude, the, the focal point, the, the force of it, of it is all on the happy outcome. Um, that, that's where it really, it really has us think. And so, in other words, happiness follows somebody who finds wisdom. And so notice how the ordering goes, right? We, we, from looking at this passage, right, we don't get silver and gold and jewels and riches and honor, and then we find happiness. The, the ordering's turned, it's flipped. For the one who finds wisdom, riches and honor and long life and peace they come with it. That's the outcome that comes after. And that's, that's very practical for us to, to really get, to, to understand um, as, as we look at our own lives, right? That, that, that those who look for happiness, like, I just want to be happy, right? We never find it. Um, psychologists and, and all the statistics and stuff show that. I mean, there's, there's podcasts, endless podcasts about, about this. It's really fascinating stuff that that by seeking happiness, I never get it. Um, but those who find wisdom will also find happiness. And the same can be said of our relationship with God, right? Jesus says in the Gospels, he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all shall be added to you. It's about priorities, ordering. When we put God first, everything else gets added and it's good. When we put God second, everything else becomes God, and those gods are not good for us, and those gods really turn on us, and, and they don't satisfy, and they don't deliver, and we don't feel very good, do we? And so this morning, maybe, as you think about this text in front of us, how, how are you trying to be happy? Right? What, what is the substitute for happiness that you're putting in place of God or before God that... That, you know, if I were to finish a sentence, I will be happy if blank. How do you fill in that blank? What goes there? All of us have something or somebody or something that we're chasing after. If we're honest, that's our search for happiness. And we're looking for it in every place or, or person around us. And, and that search for happiness, it's going to look different for each of us, right? Some of us... Maybe some of us want uh, success in such a way that everybody thinks you're so famous. But others of us go, I would never want to be famous. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, I would actually just love to be noticed. Does anybody even notice me? Right? Does anybody even care? And so we, we have different longings. We have different desires, different things that we think will satisfy us. And um, whether we want to be famous or we just want to be noticed or heard, right? Um, being famous or, or finally getting noticed or being heard doesn't give us what we want. Um, someone put it like this with money. If we make money our ultimate happiness, money can put food on the table but not fellowship around it. Um, or I, I just think of how the Beatles sang it which I can't sing, but can't buy me love, right? 
getting money can't buy me love can't buy me love love no I can't can't um, I won't uh, with the beginning of this pro with this proverb right what it's getting at what it's driving at is is that wisdom will make loving relationships a fulfilled marriage right a, a happier family a satisfaction with whatever good gifts God gives to us but it's about that ordering. Now, wisdom, if we look at the, at the end in verse 18, we see that wisdom's described, right? She is a tree of life. I want to focus on that image uh, because this is an image of, of renewal. It's an image both of physical and spiritual renewal and, and vitality. And I, the closest thing in our experience, right, that, that, that is like a tree of life in everyday experience is, is when you hear an encouraging word from somebody else. It has that capacity to just lift us out of whatever it is that we're in. When we hear something very, very um, generous and, and kind and, 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 and just encouraging to us, it lifts up our spirits. Um, it breathes new life into us. And, and the tree of life is, is that kind of an image. And it's also an image that, that represents a right relationship to God. A right relationship to God. So uh, when we think of the tree of life, if we have our Bibles open and we're searching through, where do we first find the, the topic of the tree of life? Anybody know? Genesis, right? At the very beginning, Adam and Eve, right? There's this tree of life. And... Um, when they were, uh, they had a good relationship with God then, uh, back in the Garden of Eden, they were told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's interesting is they could have eaten from the tree of life, right? Any other tree you can have. You can eat from the tree of life if you want to. Of course, we know the story. They, they didn't. Uh, they, they ate from what became a tree of death. And, and their relationship with God was not great, um, and, and the tree of life language, again, right? So it shows up in the beginning in Genesis. It shows up again in Ezekiel. If we're, if we're looking through the prophet, Ezekiel talks about it in, in chapter 47. He, he casts us back thinking about uh, trees that are good for food. And so, again, that imagery crops up. And, uh, and we see it again at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22. So everything that was lost in paradise is not just regained, but in Christ it's made even better, made even more perfect. The tree of life is offered to anybody who, who believes in the gospel and is not something that can just be enjoyed forever later, but it can be enjoyed now. Jesus is offering us the tree of life in relationship with him. And so the pursuit of wisdom, it's far better than the pursuit of happiness. Those who find wisdom also find happiness. That's the, the first thing I wanted to think about this morning. Um, the, se the second thing about wisdom is that it leads us to understand who's in control of the world that we live in. Wisdom leads us to understand who's in control of the world. Um, it teaches us we're not masters of our fate, captains of our soul. Very contrary to the messaging we usually get right around us. Um, we know that this world wasn't created by our hands, but it was created by another's hand. And so verse 19 says, 
The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. Verse 20. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. So God's made everything that exists. Uh, The world that he created has this certain order to it, right? There are certain laws of physics and laws of of gravity, laws of uh, inertia, uh, uh, laws of reaction, uh, laws of just common sense that exist in the world we live in that that give structure and, and order to a world that without God would be in utter chaos. So as we think about this, uh, for example, right, if you jump out of a plane without a parachute on, the law of gra- gravity matters very much, right? What's going to happen to you? Yeah, it's not going to be pretty. You're going to fall from the sky because you don't have a parachute, and the law of gravity applies whether you like it or not. It, it does. Um, and, 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 and we know just things about like common sense, too, that we learn from experience, that we learn from observation. So, for example, never put a metal spoon in a microwave oven, right? Never do that. Uh, Never drive in the dark without your headlights on, right? Don't want to do that one either. Uh, Never, ever, ever, please don't, open a can of tuna in an airplane in a closed, confined space, right, where someone next to you has to smell it. That's just no, right? Those are common sense things that we know. Um, that God made the world right and it works in a certain way or doesn't work in a certain way and we kind of follow those patterns. There are common laws, common sense. Sometimes I think common sense has died. Where is common sense, right? We need a, a law for everything. But, um, but so, some people do believe that it was random chance that, that threw the world we live in into existence. Random chance. And when does that ever happen? I mean, for, for example, if, if, I, uh, if I put a, a paintbrush and a canvas and, you know, paint colors, a bunch of paint colors, and I, I put them in a room and I shut the door and I walk away and I don't come back for a while, and then I come back into the room, is there going to be a Picasso painting? Is there going to be a beautiful painting there? I see some yeses. What? No. The paintbrush isn't Mickey Mousing going to, you know, start magically drawing. It's not going to happen. Um, it, it takes a, an artist, it takes a painter, right, with the creative juices flowing to actually pick up the brush and, and make those, those, those strokes on the canvas and, and to paint a beautiful picture. And so why do we think that it's any different with the creation around us, with what we see, right, with what we observe, why do we assume that the world was made without the handstroke of God? Um, all of us know deep down that God has made everything. That this beautiful creation, this beautiful universe was orchestrated by him. Deep down we know it. We might reject that, but we know it. We can't, we can't reject that, ultimately. And so if, if you believe that God has, has orchestrated the beautiful universe that we live in, then there's a certain confidence and assurance and hope, comfort that we can draw from uh, from God while living in this world. And so I want to continue reading verse 21. 
My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you'll walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down in your sleep, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and it will keep your foot from being caught. Right. I mean, just, did you, do you hear that? The peace of mind um, that, that, that God gives to those of us who know that he's in control? We can walk safely during the days of our lives. We can sleep peacefully at night, even though there might be danger around us. Verse 24, right? It's, it, it sounds a lot like a psalm. Psalm chapter 4, verse 8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David prays that to God. Um, you know, I... Uh, Maybe, maybe you're somebody uh, who's, who's had some sleepless nights and you know what that's like, right? When you can't fall asleep at night um, and, and you just, you know, your, your wheels are spinning and you're up all night and, 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 you're, and you're worried and you're anxious. And, and for somebody who trusts in the Lord, even if we're lying awake at night, right, we can take confidence, we can know that God is the one who's even in control of my anxiety. Right? He's the one who's even in control of my sleepless night tonight. And that's actually comforting. Um, that there's truly a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How does knowing that God's in control calm your worry and quiet your fears? Does it at all? How does it? Um, God promises that he'll keep those who fear him safe, even from death. And in him we have nothing to fear. Wisdom also does another thing. It makes us good neighbors who care for others in our communities. So throughout the Bible, there's a, there's a really, really, really strong connection between our relationship with God and the relationship with the neighbors around us in our life. In fact, when Jesus gives a summary of the whole law, he says... What does he say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? On these, these two things hang all of the law. Um, why, have you ever wondered why those two, right? Why love God and love neighbor? Well, the reason why is that the, the, the two are so intricately connected, Right? They're, they're, there's such a relationship between the two that we can't really love God unless we're loving our neighbor. And we're not really showing love for our neighbor if the, the two go together. Um, and so if you love God, you're going to love your neighbor too. Sadly, today, right, we see that a lot of people ignore this. And, and when we do that, we prove that we don't love God. Because wisdom makes us good neighbors who care for our neighbors. I want you to take notice to this. I'm going to read uh, the rest of this, this passage, uh, 27 through 33. And just notice the concern, the, the attention to detail about the neighbor. Okay? Verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to do it. 
Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I'll give it, when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways for the devious person's an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Uh, let's stop, stop there for a second. And here we can see that there, there are two kinds of sin that we can commit. Two different kinds. Um, the first is not doing what we should do. And the second is doing what we shouldn't. Um, these, are, these are called sins of omission and commission. Right? We don't do what's good and we do what's bad. Two ways we can sin. Uh, notice the expression, expectation of, of how just how attentive we are to be to the specific needs of our neighbor. Right? That implies that we know our neighbor, that we, there were neighbors to our neighbor. That's hard to do in, in our, uh, the world that we live in, uh, when we live in suburbs that really seclude each other. Um, you know, we shut the garage door and we never get to meet our neighbors. Um, and so maybe this passage is challenging us to explore our suburbs a little bit. Or our apartment complex to maybe get to know our neighbors, walk the dog more, or just take a walk. Anyway, though, uh, wisdom knows that our actions have consequences. Our actions affect more people than just us. And so the proverb finishes, verse 34, Toward the scorners he's scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Verse 34 is quoted by two people in the New Testament. James quotes it, and Peter quotes it. And I want to read their quotations of it. Um, and they, they, they take the translation from the Greek Old Testament. That's actually the version that they use. So it sounds a little bit different, but it, it's the same verse. So verse 34, um, James says in, in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, But he gives more grace... Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Maybe you've heard that one before. Uh, Peter, he also says, right? He says in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, clothe, yourself, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, we see that passage quoted by these New Testament authors. And, and the reason they quote uh, the reason Peter and James quote from this proverb is, is to highlight something. They're highlighting our idol of independence. Independence says, I can do this on my own. Independence says, I don't need God for anything. Independence says, yeah, you said not to eat from the tree well, I'm going to eat it anyways, right? I'm going to take that fruit. I'm going to do what I want. Independence says, I got this. And the sin from the very beginning was independence from God. It was no longer letting God be God. It was saying to God, I'm God, and besides me, there is no other. Which is folly. And so we have two choices today. We can either die in our pride or we can live in humility. 
Humility says, I can't do this on my own. Humility says, I'm not God, and that's good news. Humility says, God's got this. I don't got this. God's got this. And uh, people who are dependent on God become the kind of people that others can depend on. I think that's what's really beautiful about this proverb that it teaches us. That if we know, if we confess that we need God for everything, then it's not a stretch to say that we can be the kind of people, that we can be the kind of church community, the church family, that others can depend on in times of need. Because we confess that we need God. So we shouldn't be surprised when our neighbor needs us. But more than that, we're supposed to seek a connection back to creation. And so I want to I wrap this up with um, a couple things here. Um, kind of going back to that, I, I brought up the image of the, the, the tree of life uh, from verse 18. The, the, the tree of life, right, that, that image of a tree, it reminds us of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 speaks of the blessed man who is planted like a tree by streams of water. Psalm 1, 3. Jesus himself is that blessed man. He is the one who is planted by streams of water. He did not walk in the counsel of the wicked, as Psalm 1 starts out. He did not stand in the seat, uh, stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, right? But he made his food and his work the will of God. That's what Jesus did. And more than that, we're supposed to see this connection back to the original creation. That wisdom's linked to the, 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 the work of God in creation. As Colossians says of Jesus, in him all things hold together. And even more than that, right, we're supposed to make another connection. We're supposed to see that we have access to the tree of life in the beginning only because Jesus hung on a tree of death. He was crucified for the forgiveness of your sins, of my sins. He tasted death so we can have life. And, and more than that, right, not only do we see that Jesus is the blessed man, not only is he the one who has created by wisdom everything that, that exists, and not only is Jesus the one who hung on a tree for us, but Jesus is the true, living, breathing, resurrected, second Adam who did what we failed to do, who ate from the tree of life and now holds out that tree of life offer to anyone who believes. Will we trust in Jesus today? Let's pray. Lord, we're reminded of uh, what our brother C.S. Lewis said, that if we put first things first, we'll get second things thrown in. But if we put second things first, we won't get either first or second things. Father, help us to put you first. Please move aside our idols our false sense of security or approval or success, all these, all these things that we look to, 
Um, help us to know that everything we have in both creation and redemption comes from your fatherly hand. It is all because of you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be dependent on you, that we'd walk in humility. And because of the humility that you have shown us in the cross, because of the humility that you just are, that we would become like you and become dependable people for others around us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. And as we sing this song, think about what it might, consider what it might mean for you to put the work of Jesus on the cross. Uh, that's the first thing.